0: Hi there, I'm Gerard Marie, and you're listening to CSR Connect, the optimize podcast. A place to discuss CSR, corporate goodness, and all things social purpose. Today, we are going to talk about the pains of applying for public funding.
1: In this case, um, you apply for a project, it's a very consuming process, uh, because you have to draft it, and sometimes it's not directly accepted, but you have to review it. Um, So it takes uh, some months, takes a lot of manpower. Mm, But if you succeed, then uh, you have at least uh, enough to develop the activities that you uh, envisage in in the project.
0: We're also talking about some other ways to find the necessary means for your project.
1: Uh, I would give uh, three tips.
0: If you are interested in knowing more about how to get funding for your non-profit projects, keep listening. Very often, when we discuss different strategies for social good, we hear a common topic among nonprofit organizations, lack of funding. Today, we will talk about approaches to fundraising, partnerships, and how to go about applying for public funding, especially for those organizations based in Europe. And to get some insight into this topic, we talked with Andres Salazar. He is the Communications and Project Officer at BeeLife European Beekeeping Coordination. Bee Life is a solution oriented nonprofit organization working to improve conditions for bees and pollinators. Although the media has been giving much attention to climate issues in the past years, funding for this type of agenda is still very low. There remains a heavy concentration of funding in a small number of countries. Not surprisingly, nonprofit organizations need to find alternatives to this lack of funding. In Europe, Direct donations from individuals and membership fees can count to more than 60% of combined income. But how do you get direct donations, I hear you ask? According to Andres Salazar, a good way of doing this is to create partnerships with the private sector. Uh,
1: Yes, of course. Well, um, it depends. It largely depends on the type of project that we want to develop or where we see opportunities. But uh, for instance, we have already... um, uh, taking part in projects with the private, uh, the private sector, uh, particularly from the technology uh, sector. So um, this would mean uh, talking to people who are developing uh, new devices. Well, for us, in particular, uh, regarding uh, pollination, uh, specifically to, to monitor pollination, to monitor uh, uh, bees and beekeeping. Um, and then on the other side, we would also get in touch with the people are working on data, for example. So translating uh, data into information. So big data, um, other type of uh, technological development, uh, especially in the uh, software and um, on a bit uh, also you know, with other people in the field. Uh, this is not only to develop new projects, but also to execute them. So,, uh, for instance, um, for a project, we had to to get much oh, to get a much closer um, connection with people directly in the field to actually develop all the activities that we wanted to. So this would mean a closer uh, contact with uh, for us in particular, uh, beekeepers and farmers.
0: Many times, though, European organizations can apply for public funding through projects, but be prepared. The process can be long and frustrating sometimes. Uh,
1: but for us, most of our experience uh, from getting public funding has been through projects. So um, on the one side, we had a, a three year project um, called the Internet of Bees. And this was with the, also with the, in partnership with the private sector. And it was in the framework of the Horizon 2020 uh, from the European Commission. So uh, this is scheme of projects where, where you, we can get uh, uh, funding. Um, and well, in this case, uh, you apply for a project but it's, it's a very consuming process uh, because you have to draft it and sometimes it's not directly accepted, but you have to review it. Um, so it takes uh, some months, takes a lot of manpower. Mm, but if you succeed, then uh, you have at least uh, Enough to develop the activities that you uh, envisage in, in the project.
0: If you are applying for European funding for the very first time, pay attention to these three tips from Andres. Uh,
1: the first, to build a, the proper partnership, you, you need um, you need to respect certain parameters and to actually apply. Um, for instance, you have to have partners from different countries of the EU. If not, your uh, submission will not even be considered. Um, but besides these uh, formalities, uh, you also require a strong partnership. Uh, um, the second, um, to have uh, the proper assessment as well. Um, of course, many of these projects are done in-house, uh, but to have the proper assessment, uh, whether this is in-house or uh, or from consultants, this is also a must. Um, the third one is patience. Uh, patience not only during the drafting process, but also to review it. Um, and to persist in it because uh, if your idea is worth uh, uh, the public funding then you should work to actually get it and at least uh, this is what we believe for ourselves and that's what we push ourselves into
0: Having the proper assessment is, according to Andres one of the key things when applying for a project, and here is why
1: I would say that uh, there's a very interesting aspect in this, and it's the the feasibility of the project. And this means, uh, number-wise, to see that it's uh, financially feasible and that it's actually it depends on the call. But uh, if, for example, it's something that it's uh, aiming at creating new jobs in the future, you need to have uh, convincing numbers to prove that your project will actually lead to this uh, new production of employees, Um, or even within the project itself. But this might be more of an engineering kind of things um, that you need to prove that it's actually feasible. If not, if it's something that uh, uh, you cannot convince the the jury um, to invest, well, it's certainly not going to be funded.
0: Another challenge for nonprofit organizations can be allocating the granted funding in the right project. And for that, you should think about the main goals your organization wants to accomplish.
1: In our case, uh, for example, we get uh, uh, somewhat generous donation uh, at some specific point, uh, and then you, you're free, because uh, you're free to allocate it, but the way that we decided, of course, is uh, what is the more, most pressing on the one hand, and what is the um, what are the activities that we lead to to new investments or uh, to create new value, um, let's say for the organization, but for the for our goals that we want to accomplish. So we, I would say that we apply a uh, long term thinking uh, to allocate uh, priority.
0: Okay, and do you have to write reports uh, for these fundings? I suppose how does that happen in uh, is that a struggle as well, writing the report and finding the numbers and measuring the impact? Uh,
1: do you mean for uh, one-time donations? Yes. No, for one-time donations, no. Uh, you can, and of course I would say it's a, it's a good practice to keep uh, your donators informed, but it's not a must, uh, especially depending on the type of donation that you received. If it's, for example, a corporation that uh, donated a one time fee, uh, well, you're pretty much free to, to do what you want with it. Also, because of, because of a transparency and uh, for uh, independence purposes, you cannot be submitted to an external organization and then to, for them telling you how you will spend this money, unless it's something that you agree beforehand.
0: Okay. And how. But except for that, do you guys do an annual reporting or anything like that? Or do yeah. you usually don't do it?
1: Yes, we have an activity report. And uh, usually this is uh, directed at the the internal members of Beelife. So as I was saying uh, earlier, we have a, a community of associations that are members of BLife And we are accountable more than anything to them.
0: okay and then how what type of um kpis do you you usually use for measuring the impact the 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 success of projects
1: Mm, we have different uh, objectives within different projects uh so to give you an example um we work a lot on pesticide regulation and their impact on uh, bee health and pollinator health in general so one of the kpis would be did we manage to um, to have our uh, our proposals come across uh how many well this is more for advocacy for instance uh how many uh, MEPs accepted our proposals uh, members of the european parliament accepted our proposals um what is the the final text the final legislative text uh, for this regulation and will we see uh, an impact from our work in this. So, um, for example, in, in the previous years, we have been working on the common agricultural policy as well. And we were working heavily on, on the legislative text to include something called a pollinator index, which is basically for authorities to use uh, pollinators to measure the impact that the, the policy has on the landscape and on the environment.
0: Planning seems to be the key word when talking about strategies for non-profit organizations. But as we all know, many times things don't go according to plan. The pandemic, for example, has shifted plans worldwide.
1: When the pandemic started, we were actually mm, concluding activities on, on, uh, on EU-funded project. Uh, so we had to adapt heavily and uh, some things were, well, they couldn't be done exactly as we planned them to, of course, but uh, that's a uh, part of world history now. So what we had to do is to yeah, accommodate and uh, depend uh, much more on uh, digital resources, um, which we are quite used to, but even more. Um, also, as you were saying, uh, for uh, events uh, and, and meetings, well, this has also um, had a strong impact. Not only because of the, the meeting itself, but also because of what happened surrounding the meeting, so that the social contact and the networking experience that, that you would get from this. Um, you know so sometimes uh, businesses were concluded not in the meeting, but afterwards.
0: To finish our conversation with Andre Salazar, we asked him, if he could solve one social good problem, what would it be? Not surprisingly, he mentioned the decline of biodiversity.
1: Well, to me, that would be obvious from from my side uh, to end the pollinator crisis, uh, because uh, the decline of uh, biodiversity pollinators, uh, and pollinators and their essential services for ecosystems uh, has been going on uh, for quite a while. And uh, the problem is that we don't see the solutions uh, coming as early as we wish. Um, so I would wish for that to be over with. It would be nice to have to work on something else besides uh, uh, a problem, but rather to improve something.
0: If you would like to know more about the work of BeLive, you can get in touch with them via their website.
1: Uh, so if anybody is interested in our work and or is interested in pollinators in general, um, you can visit our website. It's uh, B, as in a bee. <laughs> Life.eu. So, b life.eu. Uh, you can also ch- check our uh, social media. Uh, we're always updating on uh, pesticide regulation, on uh, the status of uh, pollinators in Europe, uh, as well as um, giving updates on our work. So, uh, I invite everyone to check it out and contact us as well. We are always open to new ideas.
0: We will be back next month to continue this conversation on how purpose-driven organizations can take the lead and create a bigger, positive impact in the world. Until then, be safe. This podcast is produced by Optimi. This episode was produced by Cecilia Koshikeni and edited by Santiago Otalora. If you like this podcast, you can also join the Optimi community at Optimi.com.